Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and I'm joined today by Brian Bailey's. He's the founder of Ascent, an organization specializing in connecting peer recovery coaches with those in recovery. Ascent leverages a smartphone app that effectively offers a digital version of recovery support on demand. Also, we'll be talking with one of Brian's clients. His name is David. David's going to tell his story and we're going to learn about how that's been so, the, the solution has been so meaningful for David in his path to recovery. So, gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Thank Thanks you very great. much. Okay. So, Brian, let's start off with you. Can you tell us a little bit about how you happened to get into this field? I understand you have a story to tell. So, about three years ago, uh, I had a, a bad relapse. Not that anybody ever has a good relapse, but I had a very bad relapse on alcohol. And I was, um, I was dry for about six years. Um, but really um, didn't really run a great recovery program. Um, so I was placed into a partial hospitalization program. Not only did I have alcoholism, but I was suffering from debilitating depression. And um, I was in that program with seven other people, um, seven incredible people. Um, the only difference between me and them was socioeconomic. Um, absolutely fantastic people who helped me um, with all the challenges that they had in their life and the lack of support, um, those people helped me to get my smile back, my confidence back, and were instrumental in um, my recovery. So uh, unfortunately, within 90 days, six of the seven of those people relapsed. And what I thought was, um, there's got to be a better way. There just has to be a better way. So um, I made a lot of phone calls. I talked to some um, experts all over the country in terms of you know addiction and told them a story about my friends. And um, they said that the gap in treatment is continuing care. What do people do after they get out of treatment? Um, and they're lost. A lot of people are very lost. Even though they get learn great skills while they're in treatment, they forget. Um, they, they need some reinforcement. So um, I was fortunate to be able to partner with uh, New Directions Treatment Facility. And what we um, did in our research is we found there were a number of apps out um, there, uh, recovery apps. But our feeling was that you don't get, um, you don't get sober uh, on technology alone. Sure. So what we decided mm -hmm. to do was marry that with a concept called peer recovery support. 
and peer recovery support um, is individuals who have like experiences helping other individuals who are uh, starting their recovery, their journey. So people that have, have really been been there, done that, suffered, um, to be able to share those experiences with those individuals. And it really helps to build trust among that indivi- uh, with that individual. In terms of the communication then, what happens next with the coaches? How do they turn around and engage the person who's in recovery? So um, what that individual will do is first there's an introductory call. There's a reach out call. And the coach will, um, you know, speak to that individual and let them know, you know, about their availability. And what we do for individuals is not only do we provide um, coach experience, but a lot of our um, people in recovery need other resources. And so we assist them in finding those other resources. Maybe it's uh, treatment. Maybe it's where do I find my next meal? Um, Maybe it's a psychiatrist. Um, So we can assist with with those resources. And we let that individual know that we're there for them if they need us. Now let's transition over to you, David. So let's uh, let's go back and start. Tell us just a little bit about your story. And then we'll talk about how Brian and his technology has helped you. My name's David. I'm in recovery, gratefully. Eight months. Eight months in recovery. Nine months tomorrow. So congratulations. Thank you. Yes. Um, When I was 23, my girlfriend was prescribed some pain medication, and I started taking them. Slowly but surely, it snowballed into a monster heroin addiction. You were 23 years old at the time. Did, did you have any inkling at all how addicting that stuff was? Not a clue. Yeah. Not, not even the slightest thought. Yeah, you're like so many. They went into it blindly, and you probably thought, well, we're just going to have a little fun with this and everything. It's a legitimate prescription for you, but let's dabble. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And before I knew it, it was out of control. Hmm. It had taken over everything. Every aspect of my life was oh. run by the drug. Yeah. How long did that take? Within about two years, um, I was able to function slightly. I was able to go to work, fulfill some obligations, not nearly all of them, but it was almost manageable. But within the third year, fourth year, it was out of control. I was being evicted. None of the bills were getting paid, making excuses not to go to work. So what made you finally turn the corner and seek out help? Um... A true feeling in my heart. I knew I wasn't doing right. I just didn't know how not to do right or how not to do wrong and how to go the right way. And I kept trying and trying and trying. And no matter what I did, it didn't work. And that's kind of when I realized that maybe someone else stepping in would be able to point me in the right direction, give me some pointers, give me some ideas, and we'll go from there. And so far, so good. It's really, without help, I don't believe it's possible not to fully enter recovery. I don't think you can just decide one day that I'm going to do it by myself. You have to have the people around you. So on some of our other episodes, we've talked a lot about treatment in general, but we haven't had an opportunity to talk to someone who's using a mobile app as part of their recovery program. You're the first. So can you tell us how that experience has gone and what it means to you? 
Um, the mobile app is a great idea because nowadays everybody's always on the phone. And through this app, like Brian said, these sober coaches, they really care about you. Whether or not you've met them face to face, they really do care. Um, they're there if you need them. They're there if you want them. And they'll check up on you through the week just to make sure, hey, I haven't heard from you. How's everything going? Anything you need help with. Well, I don't know uh, where the groceries are for the weekend. And Chris will, who's my sober coach, he will do what he can to find out, okay, here's what we can do for you. Here's who you can call. So for anybody who's struggling with anything, they're there to help. They will do whatever they can. Um, maybe the person on the other line isn't comfortable or doesn't know where to find the resources. So Chris will do the legwork. He'll put you in where you need to go. So um, have you ever called them, though, when, you know, you've had uh, a strong urge to use? Personally, I haven't had any strong urges, but I did call Chris when I didn't hear from him for a week. Um, normally, they call me every Tuesday. I didn't hear from him, so I did leave him a message. Said, hey, I didn't hear from you. Because I, I was new to it, to the Ascent program. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know I was expecting a phone call every week and he said oh no we're here for you if you need us so that's kind of when I realized that this program can help a lot of people okay they may not have that support around them and this is where you could reach out to if you needed it okay what other support does the ascent solution provide <clears throat> they'll have the opportunity to, uh, to journal set goals um, you know, journaling for many people is extremely therapeutic. Um, so that's a, a, a sort a resource that we use. Um, we um, we have surveys um, just to kind of check in on people and see how they're doing, and um, also to see you know just from uh, from an ascent perspective, just how helpful um, our solution is. So I understand that the other side of the surveys is that you can really glean how they're doing in relation to their recovery there, and you can glean whether or not they're in a danger zone and, and maybe need someone to reach out to them. Absolutely correct. So we can see based on, uh, again, answers to, to questions um, where they are. And, you know, a lot of people don't respond to us. Um, you know, the other uh, feature that I think is really important is chat. Um, so peer-to-peer -peer chat. And we monitor those chats um, pretty closely um, to make sure that there's you know no nothing inappropriate or nobody in that chat that shouldn't be in that chat. So we're very careful about that. But it you know it's an excellent opportunity for peer-to-peer you know, -peer, um, people in early recovery um, to talk. And one of the important things about the um, the solution is we want to keep people from isolating. If we can keep them from isolating. You're going to have a much better chance at recovery. And uh, I'm sure you know, David, you know, addicts, we isolate. Mm -hmm. and, um, and bad things happen. Bad things typically happen. So, you know, we're trying to connect people where they connect today. And where do they connect? They connect on their mobile phones. Sure. There was a study done that people look at their smartphones 150 times a day. You know, one other thing that we offer is we offer the, um, the mobile app solution, um, which requires a smartphone. But we also have a call only. So for people with government-issued phones, we have an option for them as well. So what about reporting? Is there some reporting associated with this for uh, counselors and coaches? 
Um, we have um, reporting, mm-hmm. and um, you know, again, it's it's based um, based on the needs of the individual. Mm-hmm. It's um, typically um, not necessarily for the counselors, but more for the agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where our reporting is. So that's um, that's what we do from a reporting perspective. Okay, gotcha. <coughs> so, David, help us to put this um, technology in perspective in terms of you know your recovery. So. This is some uh, technology that's really not widely used out there. It's just coming into play, uh, really across the country. And so, you know, what advice would you do? Would you give to others that are in recovery in terms of how important it is in your recovery to utilize this app, and whether or not to seek this out for their own? Um, I would say that to anybody new in recovery that when you're new, as hard as it may seem, try anything that comes your way. And for me, I found that the app is helpful because I myself am not so comfortable meeting people, talking, and as I grow, that's becoming easier. But through the app, the conversation, and like he said, with the peers, just to be able to reach out to somebody my age or that has been through some of my struggles. It just makes it a lot, a lot easier. You know, initially we think it's tough and, oh, but I'm not comfortable or I don't like people or I don't meet people. Through the app, just give it a shot. And if you're serious about your recovery, it'll work for you. You know, a lot of people early in, in recovery, there's a lot of social anxiety. Um, have a real difficult time, you know, going to a meeting or um, even going out. And, you know, it's a very safe, easy way to communicate. And it can be done by text, too. I mean, there are a number of people that don't even like to talk on the telephone. So um, we have that, um, that option available as well. Let me go for a second in a different direction. Um, over the course of the last year and a half to two years, probably, um, the just plain heroin epidemic has turned into more of a fentanyl-laced, you know, epidemic. Fentanyl has just gone through the roof, um, and overdoses from that, and and that's led um, to our exploding overdoses and deaths that we're experiencing right now across the country. So the question is, can you share with us, from a user's perspective, the mindset that seeks out the you know the strongest stuff and how that comes into play and and from you know real world experience how you might now on the other side we might as a society address that when you're in the act of addiction you want the best because it's going to make you feel good and it's going to make you not sick and then once you're so far into the addiction it's you don't only want to not be sick, you also want to feel good. So you chase that, oh, that one made someone overdose, I want that, I want that. Now looking back at the insanity of it, it's mind-boggling to me. And I just hope and pray that each individual struggling with addiction finds a way to just wiggle out of the trap just long enough to, to get one moment of clarity. And, and reach out to somebody with their hand out. If there was a way, putting yourself again back in those days, if there was a way for you to identify whether 
a batch was laced or not with fentanyl that was simple, would you use it like a strip? When I was in active addiction, it didn't matter to me. Okay, gotcha. Um, you could tell me anything about it, and I would have used it. There were times when I used mud because someone gave me fake stuff, and I was pretty sure looking at it that it was mud, but I wanted to feel better, so I was willing to take the chance. How does that work? What do you mean you used mud? In my mind, I knew that I was looking at something that was quite possibly not what I was looking for, but it looked close enough that I'm going to try it in hopes that I'll feel better. Also joining us is David's father. David, welcome. Thank you. Okay. Did you have a comment that you wanted to share? One thing that sticks out in my mind all the time <clears throat> is at least a good couple years ago when I went hunting, and it was probably my first trip. I had taken some five, six years off, and I got a phone call on a Sunday night. They had to call EMS on David, and I that's back when I first started hearing about Narcan. And as quick as I could get back together, I knew I had a three-hour trip back to the house. But in that three hours, I learned that he didn't die. Well, he did die. And they brought him back, I think it was twice. And I just couldn't understand how he could do something that hurts not only him, but everybody else. It's tough to wrap your, your head around, isn't it? Yes. From one dad to another, absolutely. It's, uh, you had to be in disbelief. Was that the first time that you learned? That he was doing stuff? Yeah. No, with my experience, I knew for a good while, number of years, I've always been around drugs, usually on the other side. Hmm. I'm a policeman. Uh -huh. So I've been around drugs and drug addicts for quite a while. So you know the signs. Yes. Yeah. But his signs were completely different than anybody else because my son's not like that. So if there's one thing that has happened that's been positive about the opioid epidemic, it's that America has come to the conclusion that this is a brain disease. This is a chronic brain disease. And um, that has to give you a little bit of solace, I, I would have to believe. For years, I never believed that. A lot of stuff that I would see and be involved in, I wasn't involved in the whole program. I caught you doing something that you shouldn't. You were arrested and taken to jail, and at least the talk was the program will help you, the justice system will help you. If I was lucky, I might see you again out on the streets. All recovered, you're saying? Well, or what do you mean? most of the time not. Yeah, okay. Sometimes if you're still hanging out at the same corner and doing the same thing, and I would be like, didn't we just deal with this last week? What are they doing for you? Well, nothing. I got bond. I got out of jail, and here I am again. Yeah. So you're still doing the same crap. Yeah. And until it was really David, even some of the guys that I met and knew on the street kind of didn't matter. I didn't know them. And a lot of stuff... I didn't believe the justice system was really that way. There was one time when I kind of forced him or tried to force him, and whatever we called, because he knew much more about it than I did, whatever we called, a recovery place or something, I could not believe what they told us to do for that night. What did they tell you to do? They told me to go ahead and use. Use that night? Mm-hmm. 
to keep off the withdrawals and call back and repeat until there's an opening. This was 2013, 14. It was pretty early into the <coughs> epidemic to where there were there were no treatments available. Um, there was some medically assisted stuff, and I had tried that and found that it doesn't work for me. Um, because the way my brain works, mm -hmm. once it gets what it wants, my thoughts go out the window, and before I know it, I'm back making terrible decisions and throwing everything out the window. Hmm. So for me, the only option was not medically assisted treatment. It was a more holistic get to the bottom of it, figure out what and why I continue to do it. Even though in my heart I feel like I'm doing wrong, something doesn't, I don't care. How did you get the bot to the bottom of it? And if you feel comfortable enough sharing it, what did that mean? What was, what did the bottom look like? What does that define that? How did I get there? I, I surrendered. I gave up. I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to kick and scream and be dragged. So at that point, I'm willing to do whatever you tell me, you tell me, you tell me, whoever's in my support group, whatever you're telling me has to be better than what I'm coming up with. And I may not like everything, but that's okay. I take what I can from everywhere I can get it, and I just applied it. Um, the bottom to where what was causing it, for me was fear was fear um i i had a, a great childhood i had great upbringing it all comes back to fear um what if i'm not good enough what if i can't cut it what if what i'm doing isn't enough and it took for me to surrender as long as i'm doing my best and putting my best foot forward every day doesn't matter if i fall short i'm happy i'm okay Senior, can you speak to other parents out there? Is there any advice that you might give them, David? Just keep pushing no matter what happens. And that's what I couldn't understand. Where did I go wrong? What did I do or not do, especially with being a policeman? But then the talk is policemen's kids. Well, first off, I never put up with all the crazy BS stuff that policemen's kids get away with. You ran a tight ship. Just because they're policemen's kids doesn't mean nothing. Mm -hmm. That's always been my outlook in life. What David said is as long as you're doing your best, you're doing everything that you can. And um, especially with David, I would never give up, even though I would think Everything he's doing is the hardest he can and the best, but to me that wasn't good enough because he's my kid. He's one step better than everybody else. And just like with policemen and their kids, they always stick up for him, and they might badmouth somebody. There was an incident where we were going through the divorce, and I don't know how much they knew, but especially my buddies would report back to me, David was in a stolen car, drinking, under the age of 19. They came to me and said, well, we didn't pin him in the stolen car. 
but we did either wrote him a ticket or took him to jail on underage possession of alcohol. I said, well, maybe you should go back and put him in the car too. And they said, well, it's kind of late for that. I appreciate them not doing that because at that time, I don't think he got into stuff like that, but he wasn't not into drugs and stuff anyway. But I said, just because he's my son doesn't mean he gets to get away with everything. And um, I had quite a few policemen keep me posted on what was going on, telling me things. And I told him, just because he's my son, don't let him go. He'll be just like everybody else's son and think they're above everybody else and that they can do whatever they want. At least outwardly, I wouldn't let people know that I mean, that's the way I was. You just don't get away with it. Yeah. So, Brian, any final comments that you might have in in terms of the epidemic and how your solution is making a difference? This epidemic um, is completely out of control. I mean, so many people really don't have any idea of just um, how devastating this has been to our country. You know, we're we're dealing with an issue that, is a $700 billion problem in this country. <clears throat> the Ascent solution is an enhancement to other treatment. We are not a be-all, end-all. Um, there are many different forms of treatment that we are incredibly supportive of. We're a piece of the solution. Um, you know, We believe in uh, medication-assisted treatment. We believe in inpatient treatment and outpatient treatment and sober housing um, so that people can get out of their toxic environments and you know, live in a more comfortable setting. Um, but we have seen um, a number of experiences similar to uh, what David shared with us today um, of our solution helping. Uh, we're there for that person 24 7, 365. You know, addiction is not a nine to five disease. And you know, people need that support on a 24 7, 365 um, basis. And one, um, uh, comment I would like to make is to give uh, incredible thanks to New Directions. I mean, we are a New Directions company. And, um, you know, it was New Directions that really, you know, I get credit because I'm here talking, but it was New Directions um, that really uh, supplied tremendous number of resources to be able to bring this to fruition. Um, so I just want to make sure that I, I say thank you for that because um, we do have a solution. We're starting to provide it. We provide a lot in Cuyahoga County, Lake County. We um, uh, have a number of people outside of the state um, that we are engaging with. We have a number of strategic partnerships to partner with people that have other pieces of the solution. So we're very encouraged by some of our initial results, but we have a long way to go. Outstanding. Well, thanks, Brian. Really appreciate that. So we've been visiting today with Brian Bailey's the founder of Ascent, an organization specializing in connecting peer recovery coaches with those in recovery. We've also visited with David, who is in recovery and has nine months of sobriety. He's just uh, celebrating that now. Congratulations, David. Thank you, And David's father has uh, shared with us his story and his perspective as a parent. And really want to thank the three of you for contributing today. Thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. I'm Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. 
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.